if you if you can make financial health synonymous with mental health it's pretty much done welcome to advice amplified today's guest is jim brown this ubiquitous term in the industry oh they were disrupted they were disruptor it's not just coming up with something new disruption happens through innovation that changes the value structure that an existing industry uh, utilizes or cares about jim is a published author phd researcher consultant and the coo at ningi so you could run through that and say people should want financial advice because it's good for them okay well then you can say the same about personal training and exercise get greater gain from all of the work that you do they're also better for people with specific circumstances illnesses injuries those sorts of things same with financial advisors right if you've got a more complex issue you can go to a financial advisor and, and that benefits you but would you still say that there's personal training gap in the uk or is it something else at play i found this conversation really fascinating and hope you enjoyed it too um if you did please give us a, a share and a follow on social media um and please share it with someone else if you thought it was good Thank you. Jim, welcome to Advice Amplified. Thanks very much for having me. The central premise for, for this podcast is the whole idea of the advice gap. People have been raving about it for 10 years since the FCA published a paper on it. 40 million adults in the UK can't receive financial advice. I know you've got some opinions on even what is the advice gap, and we've never really debated that on this forum. So it'd be great to, to hear your thoughts. I think because I come from outside of the industry, I have a, a bit of a different take on things at times. But ultimately, the the thing that I have or like struggle with one is kind of conceptualising it in the first place. Uh, I would ask the question like a Rory Sutherland or someone like that that says, "Ask really silly questions," and you get it, it helps you to delve into uh, ways of solving things or looking at things differently. So I would ask. Is there an advice gap? And maybe we can go into that in, in a moment. But also these these papers, they do a great job of asking and surveying people's thoughts and stuff, but I don't actually think they give any real solid answers into what you what you do about it. Yeah, so I've, I've tried to come at it from a bit, bit of a different angle and think, you know, for, for starters, is there an advice gap? Like, um, is there a Dubai holiday gap? There is for me in my household. Yeah, yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe, but you know, when you ask that sort of question, what what kind of answer do you get? Well, um, yes, potentially. Because, well, okay, why? Well, some people can't afford it. But then, if you could afford it, would you want to go to Dubai? I know my my other half does not want to go to Dubai. She doesn't see that as a holiday destination. So then, it's about human choice, right? But then. That that kind of structures things slightly differently, doesn't it? You know, you, when you you factor in human choice, let's ask a slightly different question: Is there a is there a personal training gap in the UK? Well, then why is that pertinent? Well, we all know that. So, if I go back to financial advice, financial advice is seen as this beneficial thing, right? So, you could say, well, you know, uh, personal training, exercise, that's a beneficial thing. Uh, what were the, some of the stats that people have come out of in the past, you know, 50K better off over 10 years, all those sorts of things. So you could run through that and say people should want financial advice because it's good for them. Okay, well, then you can say the same about personal training and exercise. People should want it, so they should, you know, so is there a, a, a personal training gap in the UK? Like what would your answer be to to that? I mean, you could dig into like rates of obesity and stuff like that and sort of say, well, actually, we know personal training's good at reducing that. So you could argue, I suppose, that if more people had access to personal training, then you could fix some of those underlying health issues. And, and that's definitely true. Well, I say definitely true. There's loads of research to, suge to suggest that. 
much like financial advisors, if you have a personal trainer, it improves the, uh, you know, it improves the benefits that you get. You know, you, you get greater gain from all of the work that you do. They're also better for people with specific circumstances, illnesses, injuries, those sorts of things. Same with financial advisors, right? If you've got a more complex issue, you can go to a financial advisor and, and that benefits you. But would you still say that there's a personal train? You know, if you think the the millions, billions that spent on national health in relation to obesity, for example, um, would we see that as a personal training issue or is it something else at play? Which is why I guess kind of circling back, that's rephrasing the question or asking the question again, but in a weird way, is there really a financial advice gap? Should we be should we be thinking, or should the government, for example, be reliant upon personal trainers to fix the obesity crisis in the UK, or or is it someone else's responsibility? So therefore, is it a personal training gap? Do the same for financial advice. Should we be reliant on financial advisors to fix the financial issues that people have in the country? Good question. Good question. So how how would you kind of attack that and and dig past? Because I suppose for me, the headline of there isn't a vice gap is quite handy when it comes to writing business cases. And I, and I think you know some of the people you mentioned in there is it's a, a useful topic for consultants or for tech providers or for advisors or or even for for the government, I guess, to say there's this thing. I mean, you know, when a lot of the research and, and thinking on it comes from the FCA, presumably it benefits them to have a, a widely accepted premise of an advice gap that needs solving by the kind of thing that they're in the mix of. I've seen some people dig past that and look at um, the supply and demand in financial advice. So there's, I think, like six and a half million people trying to get advice, they're getting turned yeah. away. Um, or there's, um, you know, another nice one of, like, nice one, terrible one of, like, savings rates going down over time. Yeah. Do you think there's some mileage in digging into that? Or Yeah, but I guess for me, it's the, what we're trying to deal with here, what we're having to factor in is human beings into, into the equation. And just because some things beneficial doesn't mean they want it. I mean, you know, if I continue the, the analogy, um, some people refer to the advice gap as like a distribution issue. So they see it as a distribution gap. So, you know, you take the point of the 6 million that you said, you know, oh, okay, that's just a distribution thing. You know, if you improve and make it easier access, they will, they will take it up. Fair enough. And maybe there are loads of people in the country that would have personal trainers if they could afford it and you could bring it to a price point that they, they could work with. But if you take the exercise analogy again, exercise, the opportunity to exercise is open to every single person in the UK because you can do some form of exercise at home uh, and you can give them gym memberships at, um, you know, like uh, employee benefits and that sort of thing to improve distribution and, and all those sorts of things. Do people actually use them? Do people take the, you know, anyone can exercise and yet they don't. So the, the issue for me here is, you can do all of those things on on one side of the scale to improve distribution, uh, create greater efficiencies, that sort of thing, to bring things down to a price point. But the other side is how do you break the sort of inertia, the psychological, physical inertia that people have that even when you put something in their hands and it's free and it's beneficial for them and you can tell them a million ways in which this will improve your life and they won't do it. That's the, for me, that's the, the missing part of all of this. So I, I get your point, but I almost feel like for those companies, for the FCA, whatever, it misses. Yeah. So are you kind of saying then that the more important thing to focus on is like the underlying fundamentals of what's going on with people's behavior and how we can 
I, I suppose, objectively improve their behavior to determine better outcomes for them rather than just saying there is a solution here and more people should have that solution. Let's actually look past that and get to the bare bones of it. Yeah, yeah, essentially. I think you have to do both, right? So I, I would suggest or, or, or what I've started looking into in, in terms of a white paper as well is a two-pronged uh, strategy or approach, you know, a, a top-down, bottom-up or, you know, right to left, left to right. So the the advice world, because it is a regulated activity, if we're talking about proper financial advice, it's a regulated activity. So um, in order to bring that to the masses, you know, that's something we need to do, great. So right to left in that instance. Then the other side, the left to right is the bit that we're talking about here is how do you move people toward the thing that is beneficial for them? Because like we say, you, you can do the right to left bit all you like, but in, unless you can break that final boundary, that final mental boundary to get people to to choose to engage in something, you know, and psychologically, we as human beings to really take something up, we have to be the one that has gone toward the thing. It can't just be brought to us. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, so yeah. for me, it's a two two pronged approach, and I think people, everyone's talking about the right to left, and they make some assumptions about the left to about the left to right that I don't think are actually accurate and will do anything. And I suppose, do you see that? Um, I'm thinking that almost manifests itself in some of the robo propositions that have come to market, you know, through the 2010s, where basically people spent millions of pounds and years and years building robot advice platforms, put them out there on the internet, and no one really used them. Yeah, so Nutmeg and all, all those sorts, you know, and th these people have done fantastic things. And nothing I'm saying here is supposed to be derogatory. It's just the building upon the work that has come before and also the evidence that's come before. So just like you say, you can put something on the internet and make it accessible, free, cheap, whatever. But the evidence would suggest that, you know, the advice gap is still growing. So, you know, we've come so far and yet the, the problem seems to be getting worse and worse. So clearly there's something missing there as a somewhat outsider i guess coming from academia and research and now looking at the financial advice market what are some of your takeaways or insights i suppose in reading the literature and some of the research that's chucked around yeah um going back to the all of the advice gap type literature is probably the easiest thing to, to focus on generally what i found i was quite surprised that there's great research going on so i i don't want this to come across as, as a derogatory statement at all but Lots of surveys, lots of kind of simple quant and qual analysis. You're asking people that don't necessarily know the answer, what their views are. And then you might say 87% of advisors think this. It's a, li a little like asking me um, which theory best reconciles quantum mechanics and general relativity, string theory or loop theory. I'd be a bit like... I don't know. So as much as it that might seem really derogatory because these people are in the business of financial advice. Does that mean that they know how to fix the gap or do you know where I'm coming from? So I was a little surprised that most of those uh, pieces of research are like that. It's just 87% of advisors think this or 27% or, you know, stop someone on the street and say, would you get financial advice? It's, and I can't remember the, 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 the famous um, advertiser that talks about how people don't think how they feel and they don't say what they mean and you know whatever that that phrase was i can't remember now but so you're not necessarily going to get answers really constructive answers by asking those sorts of questions to those sorts of people even though it might seem kind of ostensibly the right thing to do for me it was an opportunity to say well how would i 
go about solving this this problem and and think of it in a different way hence asking that question earlier in terms of is there really a, an advice gap and, and kind of re rethink and reconceptualize the problem i don't think you're going to make giant leaps forward by asking random people on the street or financial advisors how this problem is in the same way if you would ask a personal trainer how they're going to fix obesity and and you know exercise uh, issues across the country do you know what i mean are, are you necessarily going to get the the answers you need so how do we fix it what are your thoughts <laughs> on like moving forward and, and bringing some of that insight i suppose to the table and to, to bear on on this problem space i have no idea no um i, I suppose if you were to ask a question like um how would steve jobs motivate people to buy something engage with something that they don't already do so that's kind of the the approach i would i would sort of take and in some respects and this might sound like a really cheap answer and a really silly answer but make it cool or make it cool or make it desirable exploiting psychological um predispositions of human beings so what do we like we like coolness we like scarcity we like um something that's uh that we can anchor ourselves to things like that so just as just as examples here through social media which is you know the, the biggest platform the biggest way that you're going to motivate people in today's world is through social media uh, you make something cool you make it uh niche or make people feel like they're in a niche make people feel like they've discovered this thing so they're more invested in that thing all of which you can do through social media so that's influencers and uh, various other things mental health for example has become this big massive thing you know the mental health industry i can't remember the number specifically and it's in the the paper that, that i'm writing it's just you know going through the roof in terms of its growth and you could then look at that and say, well, okay, that that's a good thing. And, you know, it's people providing services and whatever else. But you can almost jump on that bandwagon psychologically in the same way and make financial health. If you if you could make financial health synonymous with mental health, it's pretty much done. Um, sorry for want of a better phrase. It would be a really core component of fixing the advice gap. So you can make something cool. You can make it, you know, make it mainstream to the point where it's synonymous with something that we all already care about or that's already expanding as much as it is. So I think if you combine all those things together, I know these are loose answers, but I would say that's the way of doing the left to right strategy and largely through social media and, and those sorts of things. I think I think it's super interesting because when you think about you know definitely in in my my kind of childhood like mental health was not a thing you spoke about and it was kind of hidden and you know there's like shame or secrecy around it and and that has seems to be you know changing changing pretty rapidly for for the better you could almost say the same about finances people quite often hide behind I suppose their um, their credit and and say hey I've got a nice car I'm obviously wealthy when you know the reality behind the scenes is is, is not the truth um, or it's an opportunity for a humble brag and, and I suppose. Is there an opportunity then to to do the same thing in financial well-being and talking about finances and making it open and something that we discuss rather than being a hidden point of bragging or no, I, I see what you mean. I, I think it's so we know that or there's research that shows that financial issues, financial difficulties contribute to mental health, right? So you could or poor mental health. So you could argue that the the, the two are 
inextricably linked in today's world. That connection's already there. So all we need to do is just make them uh, make them closer, make them more apparent to people. And I think you, you've already got a vehicle that you can use to to drive forward in that direction. Um, so yeah, I think making it more public, making it more talked about, but it has to be in the same conversation. You know, it's like, um, what are the, the the core determinants of good mental health? And you might then go through the list and say uh, exercise, you might say good relations, you might say, you know, various other things and financial stability and security would, would probably be in there. And if you can, if you can do that, I think that's half the problem solved. So what, what would you say needs to happen in the kind of advisor's world in that industry um, to affect some of this change? I think... Um, Lancat and Royal London both made the same point about demystifying the industry and, and that sort of thing. And, and I suppose I would draw on that and say, bringing it closer to mainstream language. So if you take, and this is probably a bit of a random example, uh, th there's not a lot of literature out there in the world that says, how do you change an industry in order to enact something like we're talking about? It's really limited there. I would take examples of things like the UFC, which again, strange example, but they've, you know, mainstream uh, sporting uh, opinion was over here. And then you've got this thing that looks like um, cockfighting, hen fighting, you know, cage fighting, you've got the, the, these negative connotations that went with it, no rules and all this sort of stuff. These were the things that people were saying. So in order to make that industry more successful, you had to make it more appealing to a mass market. So there's almost this sort of gentrification of the sport, um, ensuring that the language was changed. So it went from cage fighting to uh, mixed martial arts and uh, using an octagon instead of a cage and various other things. I think you just have to do the same with financial advice, but it's in the opposite direction. So we've kind of gone from you know the extreme uh, to mainstream left to right over here. And with, uh, with financial advice, it needs to be less esoteric, less uh, seen as less elitist. So it's not a it's not a dumbing down, but it's just a it's a you know making something more mainstream. I think is the the way it's done, and I think you just take what the UFC have done and just replicate that for this industry. I'm keen to get your take on how you think the industry is handling this right now. There's a lot of new entrants. There's a lot of money from investors and providers being thrown at this, and loads of people disrupting this market. Is that what you see happening, or do you think there's still work to be done? Looking at this from outside the industry. I looked into disruption, for example, because I hear this t this term all the time. And what I found reading some of the literature, you know, Clayton Christensen and people like that, you know, wh where people use the term disruption, they're not using it in the dictionary definition term. They're using it in the context of the innovator's dilemma that, you know, it's disruption theory. And I don't necessarily think people always know that that's how they're using it because it's just this ubiquitous term in the industry. Oh, they were disruptor, they were disruptor. But I don't think people necessarily understand what it means to be properly a disruptor in a marketplace. Um, and I don't know if it's worth, if it's okay, 30 seconds, just go into that. I'm, I'm hardly an expert, but essentially... It's not just coming up with something new. So you could put a shiny wheel on the horse and cart. That, that doesn't qualify as a, as a disruption or a disruptor uh, in the same way that a car, you know, making a car would. So disruption happens through innovation that changes the value structure that an existing industry uh, utilizes or cares about. So in the current advice market, if we're thinking, let's just say, you know, tech on uh, as a main point of focus, You've got all of these 
pieces of the advice process where they've got all of these incumbent pieces of technology that are currently just doing, you could argue, a bit of a feature race. So stacking features upon one another um, to make their products sticky and, and, and all this sort of thing. Um, so the, the current value structure that the industry likes is, oh, uh, this piece of set can do this awesome thing that 90% of people then end up not using anyway. But that's what people currently value because it's just the way that the industry's gone for however long. So um, disrupt, true disruption in this marketplace from a technological perspective would be something that a new innovation that changes the value structure away from those from that feature stacking into something that people will now value um, without going in too much in terms of I have my own views as to what that might look like. Um, in the same way that some someone like Netflix uh, was a disruptor from, you know, there's the famous story of Blockbuster, right? You know, the, the, the founders of Netflix got laughed out of the Blockbuster offices, you know. Um, it's doing something, you know, what is it that people value now that they didn't value previously or didn't know that was possible through some sort of technological innovation? You used to go to the to, to Blockbuster and stand there and look at all of these different titles that you could rent and it was a bit of a, you know, it was a fairly nice experience. But what do people value now? Being able to sit at home, on their sofa and scroll through and select something and have it instantly, instantly there, you know? And, and the point to make as well is new entrants, true disruptors begin with a worse performing product. And you, people need to un understand that, you know, it's a, a new entrant comes in with what is viewed as a worse performing product in the current paradigm. But in the new paradigm, it's the beginning of a new movement that changes the value structure. And I think that's the, the, the key part here. So you mentioned Blockbuster, and I suppose, you know, they, they left the Netflix execs out. Um, and Netflix, I suppose, turned around and said, well, we'll prove you wrong. And we did, and they changed consumer behavior. I, I suppose what's interesting in the financial advice space is you've got product providers, you've got advisors, and they're kind of the buyers, I suppose, or they're the ones dictating the experience somewhat. And we're seeing you know, influencers coming in and some new fintech startups providing an alternative to that. But I wonder if, like, how do you climb over that hill of people evaluating the faster horses or the better wheels on the car and get them to refocus on their buying experience should be over here on the car? I think it's just evidence through. So you've got the whole um, innovation uh diffusion uh, process haven't you? you know the uh, the the marketing paradigm from previous you know early adopters all the way through to laggards you you're not going to target laggards with your immediate marketing and you know you're not going to change their buying behavior because they're laggards there's a reason that they're laggards right so it's it's early adopters that you have to target initially it's people that are more that have a little bit more forethought or um a little bit more perceptive as to how this change might, might occur and also a little bit more patient as to what those new products are going to deliver for them. So when you first got Netflix or Amazon Prime, they didn't have that many titles on there. So you would then, in comparison, you could go back to Blockbuster and Blockbuster would, would sit there pretty going, we've got a million things that you can choose from. Yes, but I have to go to Blockbuster in order to do that. Whereas those people that are happier to say, no, actually, I'll, I'll have a, a more restricted offering, worse performing product, you know, poorer performing product, and but I'll I'll do it this way, and I'm prepared to make that sacrifice. So for me, it's more the you've got to target the right people, and then the natural diffusion just occurs. 
early adopters and then, you know, late adopters and whatever else. It's just a natural process that any new entrant, new disruptor is going to, is going to have to go through. So one thing, um, you, you mentioned earlier that, um, we need to make financial advice feel like an exclusive kind of club that you've got to fight to get in almost. Um, but then one of the key kind of considerations to making it more accessible will be making it, I guess, more mainstream and accessible. And I just wondered how you kind of reconcile those two kind of um, seemingly opposing concepts. Yeah. So w- what I mean by that, that is essentially through social media, for example, people can find someone on TikTok and then consume their content a lot. And they feel like they're part of that club. You know, I'm just using TikTok as, as an example, but someone like a Jordan Peterson of this world, people begin to consume their content and feel like they're part of this club in terms of, you know, I'm getting all of this great life advice and whatever else. Be the same with influencers, right? So they they feel like they've discovered this thing and they're part of this exclusive club of people that are consuming this content and getting better as a result of it financially or whatever it might be. So that's what I meant by by that, yeah. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's still ma- it's still mainstream yeah. language yeah. or whatever, but they feel like they're getting this. Oh, yeah, 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 you know, I I found this character and they're great, and I'm getting all of this awesome content. It's really improving my life. Yeah, I feel yeah. like they're in this little club, and but it's not like a millionaires only type no, thing. No, That's no, not no, for no, me. No, 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 yeah. because it's yeah. entirely accessible through social media. So yeah, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Jim, uh, thanks so much for your time. It's been really, really interesting chatting to you. Yeah, really appreciate it. Thank you. Awesome. Done it. Nailed it. Right.